Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, presented by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we catch up each month with current stars, rising stars, and legends from the past from USA Water Ski and Wake Sports and its nine sport disciplines. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Welcome back, everyone, to the Hit It Podcast. Super excited to bring you this guest here today, an extraordinary guest who has basically won everything there is to win in women's trick skiing. Also, your women's trick world record holder who is balancing a career at the top of her game in wakeboarding, too. That's right. We sit down with Erica Lang. We talk about this upcoming 2023 season. It's a jam-packed season. Uh, we've got Moomba Masters just right around the corner. That's going to be followed up by the Masters. Obviously, the year bookends with the World Tournament back at Jack Travers, so that's exciting. So with spring knocking on the door, we catch up with Erica to see what she's doing on and off the water to be ready for 2023. We also talk about the world record and what it's going to take to potentially break another world record here in 2023. And also how the bar has been set very high in women's trick skiing to the point at these major events, it takes almost 10,000 points every time just to make it into the finals. A super exciting podcast here for you today. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode with Erica Lang. This episode of the Water Skier Magazine's Hit It Podcast is proudly sponsored by Discount Inboard Marine. In business since 1991, Discount Inboard Marine is the largest distributor of inboard engine parts for ski boats worldwide. Come see us when you need technical support and troubleshooting assistance for your inboard ski boat at www.skidim.com. Well, welcome back to the Hit It Podcast. Super excited to have this guest in the virtual studio here today. I have Erica Lang. Erica, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We're here in kind of the middle of winter in 2023, and I know you have a huge, huge season before you. Not only do you compete in professional women's tricks, but also professional women's wakeboarding. And looking at the calendars of the last couple of years of how long the season goes, it looks like you guys barely ever get a break. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the seasons just keep getting longer and the competitions keep going until, you know, November and then starting again in March. So yeah, we only get a little bit of time off and then we got to, you know, start training again for the next season. So yeah, I took about a month off this season and now I'm, I'm already back, back at it. So. <laughs> It's exciting. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about off-water training versus on-water training. You know, some of the listeners live in warmer climates that allow them to maybe take a month or two off, get back on the water. Others may have to shut it down in September or October and wait for summer and spring to roll back around. So they're off the water for quite some time. I know that you have an amazing gymnastics background and that skill kind of transitioned directly into what you're doing on a trick ski and wakeboarding. So I was going to ask you, when it comes to staying in shape, staying fit to get back on the water versus the skill that it takes to maybe learn a new trick, how do you balance that from on the water training versus off the water training? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like my path, you know, on, you know, when I was younger was maybe a little bit different than some people's. I was 
a competitive gymnast and I spent seven hours a day every day in the gym. <laughs> and then I spent about an hour on the water. Um, so I feel like, yeah, definitely spent a lot more time in the gym than on the water when I was younger, but now I don't do gymnastics. So more of the time is on the water, but I still do keep up with my skills like on the, on the, um, on the trampoline and I'll go into some gymnastics facilities and still kind of keep up with some of my tumbling and <clears throat> some of that stuff. But uh, yeah, I would just recommend for anybody else, really. I mean, you don't need to be a level 10 gymnast, but definitely to get maybe into some sort of a tumbling or gymnastics facility and be able to work on some of those basic invert skills on the tramp and just kind of learning that body awareness. Because I feel like for me, that was definitely a big leg up on progressing on the on the water. So that's that's really the biggest thing. And I think that's really been the the main reason why I've been able to learn tricks so easily on on the trick ski. Very, very cool. And we're going to get into that discussion about trick skiing here in just a second. I wanted to get your take just from the outsider's perspective looking in. It looks like from a trick ski standpoint, the sport is there there's power, but there's also a lot more finesse. Whereas in wakeboarding, it looks like a lot of power, a lot of strength. Uh, of course, you got a bigger board uh, than a traditional trick ski, bigger wakes, all of those types of things. What's the biggest difference between the two? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the sports are pretty similar when it comes down to it, but there's there's some big differences as well, which I was definitely surprised to learn when I started wakeboarding because I was like, oh, this is going to be so easy. It's going to be pretty similar. And then with my, my gymnastics background, I, you know, I kind of thought <laughs> it was going to be easier than it was. And it was, it was actually pretty difficult because the mechanics, some of the mechanics are very similar, but the differences really lie in the amount of pressure that you put on the line versus utilizing the wake. So with trick skiing, a lot of it is line tension where wakeboarding, you really just need to use the wake more than you do on the trick ski because i mean when i for me i'm only five one so the wake is up to my waist and i really just have to tell myself just relax my arms and just utilize the wake to its full capacity and then when i go back to the trick ski the wake is you know pretty much non-existent so i just really have to utilize that line tension so that's the biggest difference right there um and really just the trick skiing too you know it's a lot of connecting the tricks to each other and it's a lot more about it's also it's first about learning the trick but then it's also about connecting the tricks where in wakeboarding you just kind of need to learn the trick you only get four tricks down four tricks back so once you learn the trick that's all there is to it where on the trick ski there's much more involved once you learn the trick that's not the end of it you have to put it in your run and connect it to a bunch of other tricks so those are the two biggest differences very cool. Very cool. So off, off the water training consists of maybe jumping on the trampoline, going to the local gym, doing that type of thing. What I'm really intrigued to know, though, how do you balance this on a regular week, right? Like wakeboarding requires a bigger boat compared to traditional pre-event skiing or specifically trick skiing. How many ski rides do you take per day or rides on a wakeboard do you take per day or week? Yeah, I mean, definitely balancing it is is difficult sometimes. I, I also used to not have a job, which it made it a lot easier to do both my day, but now I have a full-time job. So managing wakeboarding and skiing and work all together is definitely at first was a little bit tricky, but I've got it down now. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't wakeboard and I don't trick in the same day. I usually, I usually ski one day and then I'll wakeboard the next, 
Um, but yeah, I usually work out in the mornings before work, go to work. And then after work, I'll, I'll do one of, one of the activities. So that's kind of how I manage it, but it's, yeah, it's a lot and I don't really have much free time, but, <laughs> but I love it. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Interesting. And we're going to talk about event schedule here in 2023 in a little bit, but that kind of begs the question. If you're, if you're training tricks in one day, wakeboard in another day, and you go to the Moomba Masters or the Masters and you make finals in both, it could be back to back in the same day. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I've had that. Actually, I think it was two years ago. I looked at the Moomba schedule and I was like, oh, my gosh, it was I had to actually had to wakeboard the preliminary round of wakeboard was right before the preliminary round of tricks. And I was, I think I was one of the last wakeboarders and I was one of, you know, in, yeah. And then I was one of the, the last trickers, but it was only like 10 people in between. And I remember having to get off the water wakeboarding and I, my adrenaline was still pumping super high and I had to somehow get on the trick ski. And <laughs> Matt Rini was riding in the boat and he was like, Erica, you need to calm down. It looks like you're wakeboarding out there because I just couldn't calm myself down. And because the way you attack, you know, the wakeboard versus the trick ski is so different. And so definitely going, it's easier for me to go from trick to wakeboard versus wakeboard back to trick. Just because once I go from wakeboarding to trick, I forget. I just, yeah, the, the line tension thing. I'm like, there's no wake here. Like, how do I do this? So it's easier to go. Yeah, it's easier to go from from trick to wakeboard. So the Moomba always gets a little tricky because I'm doing so much <laughs> there. It, yeah, it's like an interesting conundrum. And to my knowledge, you're the only one doing this wakeboard and trick at a professional level. I mean, back in the day when wakeboarding was first on the scene, you know, Corey Picos, Russell Gay, even Freddy Krueger were on the wakeboard seeing what was going to happen. Some Some have elected to give up trick skiing to go to full-time wakeboarding, but you seem to be able to balance it. Has anybody come up to you in the recent years like, maybe I want to try this. Maybe I want to go to wakeboarding from trick skiing. How do those conversations go? Yeah, I mean, I always kind of thought more people were going to do it. Um, I mean, I heard, I, I always knew about Russell and Corey and Freddie in the past, and I always thought that was super cool. But um, yeah, I just kind of, when I was younger, I was just at the Masters competing there, competing in tricks, and I would always watch the the professional woman wakeboarder, wakeboarders. And at the time, I was still doing gymnastics too. So I would always watch them. And I'm like, that was always kind of a personal goal of mine was, I was like, I really think that I could do this. And I was always really motivated to start wakeboarding after, you know, watching them. And so like, eventually, I, yeah, I just tried it out. And I, yeah, I picked it up really fast, learned a bunch of tricks. And within my first year on the, on the pro tour, I was getting fourth place at the, at the pro events. And then the next year I was making the podium. So it wasn't something where I was, you know, needed to do. I just really wanted to see how far I could get and kind of prove to myself that I could do it. <laughs> uh, especially with having the, the gymnastics and the trick ski background, it just kind of seemed a no brainer just to go ahead and at least give it a try. But I, I love both and I could never give up one or the other. So yeah, I, I love it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's talk about women's trick skiing. And I've said this a couple of times on the Hit It podcast, probably the event that, that has risen to a level I don't think we've seen in decades and in another individual level. I mean, there's been great skiing across the board, but women's tricks is at a level right now that is so exciting when everyone hits the water. 
And there's very few people in any sport that come into a sport that would, I, I would say, change the sport. But you're one of those people. That gymnastic background came into trick skiing and the flip started, things started happening. And it really put pressure on the rest of the field. And that the rest of the field seems to have responded in a way where, you know, like we're just talking about 10,000 points all the time. You know, that's that's what it's going to take to make it into the next round. I mean, we had Anna Gay on the, the podcast earlier last year, uh, obviously Janina Bonneman, so many, so many great uh, trickers out there. Neely Ross, I'm probably going to leave somebody out, but it seems like it's just so hard to get into a final now. Talk to us a little bit about how the bar is really raised in women's tricks. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, last year at the Masters, I think I remember the first girl out, I think it was Janina and she tricked 10 in the finals. And I was like, oh, we're not messing around today. You know, like you got to trick 10 to even and, and she got she didn't even end up getting on the podium. So 10,000 doesn't necessarily mean the podium anymore. I mean, it's it you can't you have to be on your game. You have to there's no messing up anymore. So yeah, the the level is just insane. I it's crazy because when I'm I'm 27, so I'm definitely I'm now one of the older girls on the dock, which is which is kind of which is kind of sad. Um, women's tricks is such a young young event. But when I was first going into the pro scene, I remember. I mean, you could be tricking low nines, and I think I I had won a few events, and I had only tricked in the 8,000 point range. And so from that, I mean, the sport has grown dramatically, and and it's forced me to continue to push myself because I feel like, you know, there's so many younger girls who have come up and have really just, they're making me push the bar more too. And they're pushing the bar, which is making, it's, a, it's really fun because I feel like if there wasn't that competitiveness, the bar would just be staying at, you know, maybe the 9,000, you know, 10,000 point range. So the fact that we're all just getting so good now, it's, it's pretty, it's really, it's actually really fun. I, I love I love having it, it being a very competitive event. It's really, it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly exciting to watch. And I mean, when we talk about women's trick skiing now, I mean, it seems like the standard is you got to have two mo back-to-backs in the run, probably going to have to start having multiple front flips and different variations. As you look at the sport continuing to evolve and the bar going higher and higher every year, are you still, because, you know, your strength has always been, I mean, overall in the entire sport, but from a handle standpoint, doing flips that nobody else had done in the past, are you focusing the same amount of attention on the toe run and the hand run? How's that working out to raise it up? Because I know that you're chasing to try to bring down another world record. What's your thoughts on that? At some point, you kind of have to realize where you can really grow points in your run and you know, I can do, you know, there's some, some flips that I can do where I'll never probably put it in my run just because it doesn't really make sense. So you kind of really have to be strategic and knowing where, you know, where you can gain points easily in runs. And so for me, the handle pass, there's no more flips that could really help it out. It's more the ski lines now and the toes, like toe lines. So for me, that's really what I'm working on is some more ski lines and some more toe lines. Um, and then this past year, which has been a huge game changer is I ended up changing my toe run around. I took out my toe seven, not very, very good at doing, doing toe sevens. And so I kind of realized that and really just realizing what I'm, you know, my strengths are in trick skiing and really just configuring a run that really 
lived up to my strengths and helped my strengths more than, you know, doing things that I wasn't good at and was only bringing me down. So I changed my run and took the toe seven out and ended up putting in a toe wake five back. And that has been a, yeah, a crazy game changer. And it's allowed my, my toe pass to be so much faster. I now get in my last toe lines. Now for me, just going into big tournaments, I feel so confident in the fact that I'm going to get my runs in time and just working on some toe, new toe lines and uh, new ski lines. That's really, that's really what separates to what separates the woman from the men is a lot of us, we have the same flips as all the men. It's really just, I, yeah, just the, the ski lines we're a little bit lacking on and a few of the toe lines. So I think, I think the bar honestly is going to just keep raising. And I think we're going to just become almost equivalent to what the men can do. Here yeah, that's that's really yeah. cool to make that observation in a run where a trick may need to be changed. And for those of the listeners that may be tuning in for the first time, two 20 second runs, you can't repeat a trick and you've got to get all the run, all the tricks in the run in time where a toe seven front to front where you're spinning out of the rope, wrapping back into the rope, although a high point value can be slow, right? It can be slow in the sense of you're you're racing against the clock too. So at the very end of the run, maybe doing that trick, you don't get a ski or a toe step or something like that. And it's really interesting because I think we were in a pattern in tricks for a long time where almost the toe runs were mirrored, right? Like you could call one toe run and then the next one would look just the same. And it seems like with yourself as the prime example here, not afraid to mix it up now. Maybe that's not working. Maybe that's not best for me. And are you starting to see that too within the division, some, some tricks that, oh yeah, this is the way we've always done it. But then you look at these runs and go, man, I've never seen that before, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. I definitely think there's some tricks that people kind of forgot about or just didn't really do because the two week five back, I think was more, was a more popular a long time ago. And then there's some guys who started to do it and I kind of looked at them and I was I'm like, why don't I, why am I not doing that? So yeah, definitely. it's. It's cool to see everyone has different runs and really just configuring runs that play up to their strengths rather than, you know, just copying each other and doing doing it just because you think you you have to do that run. Yeah, I think it's it's cool. You just yeah, have runs that are are built for you. And so that's kind of what I did last year. Went back to the drawing board and was like, you know, what can I do to really feel confident going into these tournaments and making yeah, making a run that was built for me. So very cool. Well, I will tell you, it was probably three years ago now, uh, I had the opportunity to announce the finals at Masters with the Larson Twins. And they had not been to a Masters in quite some time. And they said the sport is in very, very good hands. So, um, and it was really cool to sit up there and get their thoughts as you were going through your run, especially on your hand run. And they just could not believe the height that you could get on your flips and those type of things. So that was a really cool thing. Well, let's talk about 2023 upcoming tournaments. Kind of this time of year, it, it rolls around very quick. Moomba Masters is right around the corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited for this year. I mean, this is a going to be a very big year. We have a ton of events. I mean, we have Moomba. We have Masters. It's the World's Year, Pan Am Games, and the Spain competition there for trick skiing. This is actually really exciting because we haven't had this many events in a long time. So um, I'm pretty excited for this year, but yeah, it, it comes around super fast. You think it, it this year it ended in, in November, which was kind of late, but 
you know, already late in late December, I was like, oh, I've only, I haven't even had a month off yet. And all right, I think I need to start, you know, getting back out there again. But, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I've Arizona, the training here is pretty easy in the wintertime. It's about this, about similar to Florida with the, with the, with the weather. So already getting back out there, trying to work on some new things. So it'll, it'll be a fun year. Big tournaments. And like you said, I mean, it all kind of leads up to uh, the world tournament back at Jack Travers this year. So that's super exciting. Now, that's an interesting thing, though, like going to a bunch of tournaments, you obviously go to the tournament. Uh, hopefully things go well. You're on top of the podium, but then you got to reset, refocus, get on a plane, you know, maybe get a couple practice rides, go to another tournament. When you have a season like the one you're looking at, is there time to focus on breaking a world record? <laughs> or is it about the tournament? I don't know. It's you have to definitely manage both. I have, you know, I have a couple different runs. So I kind of work on the run that if I have a tournament coming up, I'll work on, you know, just that competition run for those maybe two weeks before. But every other time when I'm training, I'm always training for my world record run. But whenever I have a competition coming up, then that week or maybe the first two weeks before I'll start implementing the the competition run. But most of the time when I trick, I would say that I'm always training for bigger and for better. And then I then going whenever I, and then when I do that, then I go back to my competition run and it feels super easy. <laughs> so sure. uh, which I would like my world record run to eventually be my competition run. But, you know, we're getting there. So yeah, sure. Eventually, yeah. So this is going to be a difficult question, not to not to say that your favorite site or your favorite tournament, but just wanted to get your perspective. I mean, there's so many big tournaments and obviously the world tournament only rolls around every two years. What have what has over the years been your favorite tournament to attend? I would say on a professional competition scene, definitely the Moomba Masters. That is my favorite tournament of all time. It's just so, so much fun. And the conditions really, it seems kind of bad on the, on the Yarra River, but it's really not, at least for tricks and wakeboard. I can't really speak for the other events, but for trick and wakeboard, it's, it's perfect. So that's my favorite of all time. But for site conditions and just skiing ability, definitely Jack Travers. That is my favorite site of all time. I've, all of, all of the world records that have worked out for me in the past have been there. So it's kind of like my lucky site. But yeah, those those two for sure. And then obviously the I mean the Masters too, but but yeah, probably the the Moomba Masters and then and then Jack Travers. So I'm very I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the worlds this this fall because there's going to be some big scores for sure. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. And looking back if, if if it was any indication of the worlds that took place, you know, 2 years ago at Jack's, it's going to be it's going to be huge. Well, very cool. Uh, just I want to I want to pause again on the world record and and just get your insight to it. You know, a lot of times and going back through your biography, I mean, you, you've done everything right. Like you started into the sport very, very young, attending the Western regionals and then, you know, making your way up through the region to the nationals and then obviously working to the professional level to currently the world trick record holder. That takes a certain level of dedication that is just incredible. I always say on the podcast to a, to obtain a regional champion is one thing. National champion is another. But a world champion, world record holder type of caliber, just kind of give the audience a perspective of what it was like to grow up in the sport, 
coming all the way from the regionals all the way up, and then how you train for it today to maintain that level. Thank you so much um, for one, but honestly, it's just been a lot of fun. I mean, for me, water skiing has always been, I, I, I guess I've, I've always viewed it, viewed it as a sport, but it was always kind of my fun time in my day where when I was, I was a level 10 gymnast. And so for me, that was, I, I was spending seven hours a day in the gym. And <laughs> even when I was younger, I think it was like, at first it was like four hours and then it ended up getting to like six and then seven. Um, hours a day. And so for me, I, I had one hour a day to go home and ski. And so for me, that one hour was my favorite time of the day. It was when I got to go home, be on the lake with my family. And it was just, for, so for me, skiing has always just been fun. And I always viewed it like that. I never viewed it as, oh, I have to go ski now. So I think it, it just, and I've always just loved it. So for me, I think just doing it and loving it and wanting to ski every day and wanting to train. And I really was super motivated by it and wanted to be, you know, get first at the regionals and then it turned into getting first at the nationals and then wanting to qualify for, you know, the junior world team. And then, so it's always just been, I've always just loved it. So I think it just naturally, just eventually, just the progression just happened naturally because I just loved it so much. It was never something I had to do. So. I think just if you love something so much, just success follows. I also had, you know, some of the best training. I think, you know, I, I was really blessed with having, I mean, growing up on a ski lake in Arizona, having the best coaches around. When I was, when I was 10, Jimmy Seamers was living here at the time going to school. So I had Jimmy, Jimmy Seamers. I had Jimmy Townsend, who's a Canadian skier. I've had Richard Abelson. And then when I was in Florida, I had Matt Rini. So I have, I've had all of the best co coaches. And honestly, I mean, that's one of the biggest things is if you don't have the resources, then it's, that's just a big, that's a big deal. So I've just been really fortunate to have everything kind of fall into, into place in my favor. So from, from loving it to also having the right tools, it's, that's kind of been, <laughs> been the reason I would, I would have to say. Yeah, that's cool, too, that you grew up in the Western region and the fact that and, and I grew up as a younger kid in the Western region. And I remember there was always like, well, the Western region is really known for slalom skiing. You know, there's not too many trickers that come. From, but now it's like ironic to think like, no, from the Western region is the world record holder, you know, and women's yeah. tricks. So that's awesome. It is, it is. Thank you. It is cool that we've kind of. Yeah, the Western region has never been known for tricks. I mean, everyone you think you need to live in Orlando and. And now, you know, the Abelsons too live here and I live here too. And I, yeah, I love that the sports kind of more people from the West coast are, are getting really good out here. Um, and, and, you know, not, not everybody has having to live in Orlando to, to get good. And there's a lot of people here now that, that know what they're doing. So it's cool. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, this, this episode is actually going to launch on Women's Sports Foundation National Girl and Women's Sports Day in February. And I just wanted to ask you about that because that's really cool that you're going to be featured through the podcast on that particular day. I just wanted to hear from you what that means to you. Yeah, no, I am a big uh, supporter of the Women's Sports Foundation. I've I've actually been invited to that event. It's actually every year in, in New York City. And it was crazy because I, I haven't I haven't gone lately. But when I was, I don't know, when I was younger, I got invited a couple of times and I was just there for water skiing. And I was able to meet some of the craziest athletes. I mean, like Nastia Lucan and Sean Johnson and 
Michelle Kwan, all these really big name athletes. And I'm just there, you know, for water skiing somehow. I don't even know. It's it was really cool to see what the what the foundation did and just promoting young women into sports. And uh, they do a bunch of fundraising to get to get young girls into sports. And it's it's a really cool thing. Just so I, I love that. <laughs> Very cool. Was there any conversations like, hey, I know you guys have been in gymnastics for a long time, but I know this other sport over here you might be pretty good at. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely did. And they were like, what do you do? And I had to, sh you know, I had to show them videos, but it was just cool. I mean, I'm just, so, I'm so, so, so starstruck by those types of people. So yeah, I'm just like here for a sport they've never even heard of. And they're, you know, Olympic champion. And yeah, so it was, it was pretty cool though, just to, just to kind of meet them. And it, it was, it was awesome. Very, very cool. Well, Going back to a little bit about 2023, we know the event schedule. We know the calendar is going to be packed. There's some big tournaments, huge tournaments this year. When you look at your success on the water right now at this point in your career, what are you looking for when you go to a tournament? Obviously, you want to get to the top of the podium. Is it the competitive nature about winning or is it just, hey, I wanted to do this run and I felt really good about that run? What really drives you through the season? Yeah, for me, I would say now in my career, I would say I feel I feel like when I go to an event, obviously I want to be at the top of the podium. I mean, everybody does, but for me, I I don't know. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to articulate this the best way I can, but I I look at every competition as an opportunity and since I've already I've I think I've 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 pretty much done everything I probably would want to do in my trick skiing career. So now when I go to an event, I really just want to push myself as much as I can and try, you know, my hardest runs and to see what I, you know, see what I can do that I haven't haven't done. So when I go to an event, I don't I try not to play it safe. I try not to just resort to a safe run. It's I feel worse if I get third and played it safe rather than get third and I went for it, I would rather and potentially could have gotten first because I went for it. So I always try to just do what I do in practice and just try to go for it every single time. And sometimes it doesn't work out for me. And I probably could have, should have just done my easier run, but sometimes it does work out. And that's like the coolest thing ever when it does work out because it, it doesn't happen maybe as often as if I would play it safe, maybe, but I'm able to trick you know, tricking my goal, my goal this year is to trick 11,000 in a big competition. So I've tricked 11 in, you know, record tournaments, some smaller tournaments like Jack Travers or what, or whatnot, but to trick, you know, 11 at like the masters or at Mumba masters would be, or at worlds would be, would be awesome. So I try not to, yeah. So I guess, <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is I try not to play it safe and I try to go for what I know I can do. And if it works out, it works out. And that's like the most euphoric feeling ever. And if it doesn't, then at least I went for it, you know? So that's kind yeah, of yeah. the way I kind of view it. So that's, sometimes it can be maybe reckless. <laughs> maybe that's a reckless way to, way to, way to ski or way to compete, but that's just some, something that I've, I, I like to do. And eventually you get to that next level because you're pushing yourself and it might be an uncomfortable run then, but then eventually by doing it more, you build your confidence and it, eventually it becomes just, you know, an easier thing to and you feel confident doing it the next time. That, that, that's a really cool perspective, Erica, because yeah. typically from announcer's perspective, and I've noticed that about your ski career throughout the years, I mean, you're not afraid to push the envelope. In fact, 
And I believe you open with your hand run every time, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's like, here we go. I mean, if this, if this doesn't work out, I mean, it's pretty much like that's where the points are, but you go, go for it and you go big right off the bat. And we typically in our sport, talk about that with jumper, right? There's some jumpers that just have one cut and they are going all in all for it. But in trick skiing, you are one of the very few athletes that year after year after year have pushed the envelope. And I think that's what's forced the sport to grow. And it's going to be incredible if you start throwing down these 11,000 point trick runs, because these, the course records are going to be almost feeling like unreachable for some, I would think, but, uh, that will be, that will be so cool. And we're going to be cheering for you and looking forward to watching that play out. Thank you. Because, yeah. So, so let me ask you this question. So does it matter kind of what run you're going to do when you're seated differently in the order, right? Like if you're third from last versus top seed, I mean, do we have a, a better opportunity? Let's say you had an okay preliminary final but, or preliminary, but you didn't quite make top seed. Then we kind of know we're going to see the 11,000 point trick run. Or if you're top seed and some people go down, you change your run. Mm, yeah. See, that's a, I know I'm, I've always been just, I, I actually used to not watch my competitors ever. I wouldn't, cause it makes me more nervous. It And I just always had the run in my head that I was going to do. And the one that I was practicing and I knew that that was just what I was going to do. And so it didn't matter what anyone else did. Now I've gotten a little bit more where I, I do find that if you are top seed, you you can take that and use that to your advantage a little bit, but I try not to let that affect me. If I know, like, if I'm like, I know that I want to do that 11,000 point run. I, I try not to get swayed based on, you know, what people do, but sometimes I would have to say sometimes yeah. I do, but also, also not either because I, I want to, you know, I've already, I've won the masters before I've won the move of masters. So I try to, I want to, you know, I want to trick 11. Like that's kind of been my all last season was my goal too. I mean, I came close at the masters. I, I tricked 10, nine, but I, yeah, I just, every time I went out there, I was like, I want to trick, I want to trick 11. Cause I know, I know I can trick 11. I do it every, every day, you know, practice. So why not, why not here? You know? So I try to have that mindset, but then sometimes their nerves get the best of you or you're on the dock and you're like, well, she only tricked this. So why would I go trick 11? And it's just kind of a, a trying to do what feels right in the moment. But I, I do try to have that mindset where I'm like, go big or go home. Like, why, why would you, yeah. why, why would you do not do what you do in practice every single day? Why would you play it safe? You know? And that's usually when you fall anyways, when you, when you play it safe. So right, that's right. Kind of no. how I, that's the way I try to think. At least I try to think that way. Well, certainly going to be a crowd favorite with the go big or go home. I, I, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, to switch gears, I wanted to ask you this question. I water ski because. Hmm. Okay. That's a good one. <laughs> well, I mean, I water ski for, for many reasons, but definitely I, I water ski for the experiences and the amazing connections that I've made with people. I think that's the reason I still do it. I mean, apart from just loving to push myself in an athletic sport, but also just being able the, the people I've met and the experiences and the places I've gone have just is is the reason I is the reason I water ski for sure. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It always seems to boil back to the community and it's an extension of the family, the water ski family at large. Very, very cool. 
Well, Erica, we are going to be super excited to watch you here in 2023 and what you're going to be able to do through these events. And I wanted to give you a handoff if people want to get in contact with you or, you know, you want to thank your sponsors, your family at this time. Yeah, um, I would just really like to thank, I mean, my family for one and my coaches, Richard Abelson and Matt Reaney, and then my sponsors, Nautique Boats and D3 Skis and Connolly Wakeboards. They've all been super supportive of my career and just they've always been there for me. Um, so I just, yeah, without them, I would not be where I am today or still doing it. So, so yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Well, cool. So I, so looking at the calendar, it, it is right. Moomba is going to be the first event, right? That is the first event. Yep. All right. March 8th or 10th or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> So if we if we can't get down to Australia, we usually have the live webcast. So uh, we'll be cheering for you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I would recommend going. But yeah, if you can't, then definitely, definitely tune into the webcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been a great interview and good luck, Erica. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening and come back for future episodes of the Hit It Podcast as we catch up with current stars and legends of the sport. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central Florida, and don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate this podcast. We'll see you next time. Come on.